I hope that in the craziness of the last few weeks, you've been able to remember what? Jesus is right there beside you. If you've had family dramas over Christmas, Jesus was there. If you had times of celebration with your family, Jesus was there. Um, I, I got sent a list of songs this week, and I knew what songs Sarah <laughs> was going to sing. And yet somehow, like Donnie said, that last song resonated with what I want to say today, is that one of the lines we sang over and over again was, that is who you are. So what I want you to get from this morning is, who is God and why are you here? I wanted to start by sharing a prayer that I prayed this morning. The prayer is the anti-Franciscan prayer, or the, the opposite of the Franciscan prayer. So the prayer is this, Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. Where there is apathy, let me provoke. Where there is compliance, let me bring questioning. Where there is silence, may I bring a voice. Where there is too much comfort and too little action, grant disruption. Where there are doors closed and hearts locked, grant the willingness to listen. When laws dictate and pain is overlooked. When tradition speaks louder than need, grant that I seek rather to do justice than to talk about it. Disturb us, O Lord, to be with as well as for the alienated, to love the unlovable as well as the lovely, to make... Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. I don't know who wrote it. I wish I did. But it it really spoke to me this morning. We can become all too easily complacent. I wonder if you have places that are special to you. Maybe there's a place that something happened that really impacted you. And so it holds something personally significant for you. Maybe it's a place of spiritual significance. Somewhere where you remember God acting decisively in your life. I do on both counts, and the background to that picture is one of them. Because beaches have become more important to me since meeting Alison. She loves the beach, specifically Crescent Head Beach. And now this beach has also got happy memories for me. Aren't they cute? (laughs) I don't know what happened to them. (laughs) Even when it was battered by storms and the bridge was destroyed, the place holds so many memories. And I can't even tell you how many photos I have of that beach and specifically that that, um, bridge. I know. So much more grey here though, isn't there? (laughs) But I'm in my 40s and I've got a full head of hair. I'm not complaining. I know other people have wedding photos that have far worse than that. Some people have mullets. (laughs) But it's been a special place for me and my family for a long time because there's something about that place where I feel home. So whenever I get to Crescent Head, I need to get to the beach. I've also, I also have a, a place that holds spiritual significance for me. It's a little town 
in the middle of nowhere in New South Wales called Canoundra. When I was 17, I left home and moved there to join the Cornerstone community. I changed my name, I grew my hair long, I lived with 12 or so other people in very small accommodation, and my grandmother thought I'd joined a cult. <laughs> but this place was where I really met God. I know the Cornerstone's not perfect, and I know some stories that have hurt people. And Cornerstone wasn't easy for me either. But it's the people I met there that helped me meet Jesus. I had grown up in a Christian family. My dad and I, we spoke here last year. He was a Church of Christ minister. I was a pretty good kid. Don't ask my dad to verify that. I didn't swear much. I did live in Logan City. The standard is different there. <laughs> so it's no small feat. I didn't do drugs. I didn't even drink while underage. Again, consider I grew up in Logan City and all these things are still true. But while I looked like a good kid, by some people's standards, I grew up in the church. I had not experienced God in the way that I knew my parents or my brother and sister did. They seemed to know God in a way that I was missing. They had real experiences, like they'd actually met him. And that strange community in the middle of nowhere, New South Wales, is where I started to understand who God is. It was quite honestly where I met God. Was the ground somehow, somehow holier than other places? I don't think so. But it is very beautiful. Was it that the people who were there with me? Possibly. But it was more than just them being there. Like my family, these people seemed to know God in a way that I didn't. Because we encounter, when we encounter God, we change. When we really encounter God, we change to be more like him. Our behaviour changes, sure. But more importantly, our attitude changes. Our motivation changes. The biblical authors talk about this as being a heart change. We change from the core of our being. Today we're going to look at what God says to us through the book of Amos. Because Amos preached to Israel just before they entered a very difficult time. I pray that that sentence isn't prophetic. And hopefully it's two years too late. But I think there's some some similarities between Israel going into a difficult time and us going through a difficult time. Israel had been experiencing a time of prosperity and peace and yet despite that, they were not authentic in their worship of God. They had actually become complacent in their worship of God and it was the difficult time that shook them out of that. What God wanted from Israel was for them to worship him, but he wanted them to worship him as he had instructed them, not the ways of the nations who lived around them. God cares about the posture of our heart. Right from the very beginning, the instructions of worship that God gave Israel in Leviticus, God's aim was to restore the human heart. 
The trouble is that we humans much prefer to not do the hard work. And we can go through the motions and look like we're doing the right thing while our hearts remain unchanged. We might look like we're doing everything right, but just like Israel performing their religious duties, our hearts remain unaffected. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn on or turn to your Bibles to Amos 4. Amos is found at the end of the Old Testament. It's in a little section we call the Book of the Twelve. It's towards the beginning of the Book of the Twelve. Starting from verse 4. So Amos 4, verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile. And Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them. And Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkness into day, darkness, <laughs> darkens day into night, sorry, who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings a fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for such times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil and love good. Maintain justice in the courts, and perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. There was so much in there. But God begin, Amos begins with a summary of his entire message. God says, seek me and live. Israel was the northern kingdom. were very good at going to their special places. Bethel, Gilgal, where they worshipped God. Beersheba was in Judah, which is in the southern kingdom. But it had become a pilgrimage site for the super spiritual from the northern kingdom to go down and worship God there too. People were travelling to these places and calling it worship. But God says, seek me, not these places. Around the same time Amos was preaching to Israel, Hosea was also warning Israel, don't go to Gilgal, don't go up to Beth-Aven. Hosea can't even use the name Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. Hosea calls it Beth-Aven which means the house of evil. Because Israel's behaviour, Hosea can't even call it the house of God because it's not. What's clear from both Amos and Hosea's message is that it was possible for Israel and us 
to look like we're doing the right thing, but actually be doing the wrong thing. And worse, missing the opportunity to meet God. It's more than not quite reaching a standard or not quite hitting a target. As if they were, as Maxwell Smart used to say, missed it by that much. No, what Israel was doing was completely different altogether. They weren't worshipping. What they were doing was idolatry. It's like us going to a worship service with the best music team in the world, maybe these guys, with the best worship leader in the world, like Sarah. (laughs) Sorry. Um, In the fanciest auditorium, or at least the one that holds the most people. We can sing loud, we can lift our hands, we can look like we're having a deep spiritual experience. The smoke machine can be pumping and we can even have an emotional experience. We can cry. But if we haven't sought God, it's not worship. It's something else entirely. It might be entertainment. It might be self-gratification. But it's only worship when we seek God. Later in the book of Amos, God says to his people, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. Take away the noise of your songs. These worship events that are supposed to be communicating how much they love God, but he hates it. If we're not authentically seeking him and worshipping him in the way that he he recognises, in a way that recognises who he is and what he values, it's not actually worship. Singing to God is not what he wants because Israel was singing to God and he says, "I, I hate your songs. Please stop that noise. But Amos says, but through Amos, God tells us what he expects or tells Israel what he expects of them. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I don't know what you're like with giving gifts. I love giving people gifts. I, I quite enjoy the process. But the gift has to be something that the receiver wants to, to communicate that you understand this idea. So when you get it right, when you find that perfect gift for somebody, it communicates, I love you. I know you, and I know you would like this. I know this would be useful to you because I know you. And I show that I know you by giving you something that you'll love. And my kids have picked this up. This Christmas just gone, they spent a lot of time looking for the right gift or making the right gift for everyone in their family. They listened to their siblings, which was wonderful to see, and their cousins. And when they saw something they thought their auntie or uncle would like, they said, what about this? Because they know these people and they know what they would like. So it was a special thing to see. But when you get it wrong, the gift is suddenly not a communication of love. It becomes a sign of how much you don't know the person. Even if the gift is really expensive. I have to admit, I've failed in my gift giving too many times. Because it was about me and not about the person I was giving to. But when I realised my mistake 
it led me to change my attitude and reflect on who I was giving to and what they would like. So what was it that God didn't like about Israel's feasts and worship practices? It was simply that they were not showing that they understood and valued what he valued or understood who he was. They were behaving selfishly and because of this, their gifts were an expensive reminder of how much they didn't know who they were talking to. God says to them in verse 7 of Amos 4, There are those who turn justice into bitterness. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So we can see that God has a soft spot for the poor and the vulnerable. Why is this the measuring stick that Amos or God uses through Amos? Where does this concern for the poor come from? Because because it's what he values. It's who God is. And we see this in his covenant that he made with Israel in Leviticus 25. It's one of the key places we go to say, what do you want God? And God has told us in Leviticus 25. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner or refugee. And he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And this is one of many passages that talk about making sure that the least of these are cared for. You see, God specifically commanded Israel not to put heavy financial burden on the poor, but to do the opposite, to look after them. Israel had been given specific instructions to look after the poor, the widow, the orphan and the refugee. They couldn't say they didn't know. In Baptist churches, pastors who want to be um, ordained have to go through a whole lot of interviews. At Morling College in New South Wales, when pastors are close to ordination, the college puts on a special weekend for them. And a part of that weekend is a special lunch where lecturers and, and experienced pastors give them their wisdom. <laughs> so one of my lecturers had to leave and we had a, she went down to give her little um, speech of wisdom and she came back to tell us what she said. And she said she's, she tells pastors this every year. She would say, never sleep with anyone else except your spouse. Don't do it. Why do you think she said that? She would then go on to say, now that I have said that, you cannot come back to me and say one day, but no one told me specifically that I shouldn't do that. She does this because obviously she's heard that excuse far too many times. God knows this about human heart too. And he leaves Israel without excuse and they have specifically been told how to treat the poor. But they're now being disobedient. So we've come here today as God's people. It's not a particularly special place. I like it. But the ground is not holier here. It's cleaner from last year. We cleaned it a bit. 
What expectations did you come with today? Did you come to see friends? Did you come just because it got you out of the house? Because you've been cooped up at home? Did you come out of habit? You come every Sunday. Did you come to seek God? Because the call remains the same for us today. Seek God and live. But seeking God is not merely an intellectual activity. When we seek God, we find a being who is deeply concerned with how we treat other people. He punishes people by sending them into exile because they were not treating people in the way he wanted them to. They were mistreated and vulnerable. God is not a God of injustice, of oppression. The Apostle John tells us many times what it means to be a part of God's people. His whole message can be distilled down to little children love one another. As a pastor, he would often get up in front of his congregation and say, little children. That's how he would address the congregation. Love one another. In 1 John 3, 16 to 17, he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with our actions and truth. We could spend a lot of time defining what John meant by brothers and sisters. We could narrow the definition which means only Christians, only those in Australia, my specific church family. But you see the problem, don't you? Once we start defining that, we start defining what God wants. When Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. And the Pharisee tried that question, but who's my neighbour? Can I define that? And Jesus didn't have a bar of it. And we know that story. I reckon it's pretty easy to understand that he means everyone, not just the ones I choose even if that's not so easy to put into practice. Over the past few months, we've been looking at our vision and mission and values here at Quine Life, and we had our, our third day yesterday, and a couple of things continually come up in our discussions. The Kiwana Life family values actively helping the vulnerable. Even though the COVID situation has hindered us a lot, that's been a core part of what we want to do. The other thing is the first word in our tagline, belong. We, we value belonging first, or at least we say it on the sign. The big question is, do we really? Or are we just going through the motions? Do we want to be involved in doing the hard work, or do we just want to be a part of a church with the reputation of being a place where people belong and helping the vulnerable? I hope you leave this place today having met with God and know that God's people are meeting in buildings all over the country and online. It's quite an amazing time. We are part of God's people. It is our responsibility to seek him and he tells us that when we do, we truly live. We're going to finish with the song that we sung earlier today.
God's kingdom is, what is it? Where is it? Build your kingdom here. The first line, before I heard that last song we just sang, <laughs> I was talking <drawing> this song. <laughs> so both these songs have been quite powerful for me. The first line in the song we're going to sing now is, uh, where is the quote? We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and thirst to see captives' hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. But can I encourage you? Don't sing these words if you don't mean it. We don't want to follow in Israel's example. We don't want to hear from God. Take away the noise of your songs.